All right, let's see if this one works. <laughs> what, what do you think? Do you think this one? Do you think this one might be the ticket? I don't know what to say. Uh, you drove all the way across town, and we did. Uh, you know, you you talked to Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. Uh, a great conversation, mm -hmm. no less. Then we recorded for about an hour. I was excited about the conversation. So excited, we'll get to do it twice. Yeah, uh, I think the the universe does not want us to get our takes out for the fourth episode. I'm not trying to dox my computer here, but these Dells really need to step it up. Now, this model is a little bit outdated, sure, but I've been very disappointed with uh, with the uh, the computer not doing what I want whenever I want it to. Yeah, we need to we need to figure it out. Hopefully, we got better audio this time around. We have upgraded our microphone situation, so it should sound slightly better. You took matters into your own hands. You yes. said educators. No, no, it's it's my time. It it was it was about time that the podcast microphones of America uh, returned to its rightful owners, which are uh, white guys, uh, <laughs> and not people who are doing important work. Podcasting in their free time. <laughs> people, people who self-employed white men. We cherish to. our opinions so much that we share them with you all, and we ask you to pay us for it, and we hope you will. Yeah, welcome to the Auburn Observer Podcast, Justin Ferguson, Painter Sharpless. We are doing this round two. We're recording this on a Friday morning. Hopefully it'll be out to you uh, sometime in the Friday in the AM. Appreciate you joining us. We got a lot to get to. Do you need me for this one, or can you just pretend oh. to have this conversation? No one wants to listen to me talk to myself. No one. No one in the universe. <laughs> the Not even my own family. No one wants to hear me. You could do the Bill Burr, where he just yells and rants, but there's no one else in the room. Yeah, I but, can't do that. Uh, yeah, he's it's pretty like talented. When, it's like when Cowherd used to be on ESPN, and it would be like, who wants to just listen to just one dude talk to himself the whole day? Who, by the way, I don't know if it's worth going that deep into oh, this. Skip Bayless but thing? yeah, bleep get, that guy. Get him out of there. Yeah, that's absurd. Get him out of there. Uh, and shout out to Dak Prescott, Kyle Lowry, people who have actually been open. Paul about, George. Yeah, and to some extent, not that this is the most important factor in all that, but no. it seems to have benefited all of those people. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that mental mental health is such has got such a stigma. Not only in American culture, not only in sports, not only in what we how we deal with it specifically with men. Like, and athletes kind of being like the hyper version yeah. of that because they are hyper masculine in the way that we envision them as warriors. So then talking about stuff like this, opening it up, is really brave and it can really inspire people who are going through similar things in their own lives to see okay here's like you said here's the superhuman here's the untouchable uh, the untouchable person going through stuff that i go through it can really help people out and to take that and condense it into some stupid football take is beyond horrible and it's like it goes beyond just like here's something dumb i said about sports that's whatever you know yeah we were joking about like he always goes after lebron james and you were like yeah lebron james is no good and obviously regardless of how you feel about lebron james it would be idiotic to try to say that he's not one of the greatest basketball players of all time but this is not that and i will say two things that i felt like were silver lining in this one i think a comment like that 10 or 15 years ago not really thought much about. Two, the reaction online. I know a lot of people get frustrated with what they perceive as cancel culture. I thought that in this instance, it was nice to see a general consensus, at least as far as I can tell, Twitter is not real life, but a general consensus that what he said was not empathetic, 
and was not correct. Mm-hmm. And that was encouraging. Well, it's about using that platform and trying to inspire change. Something that, you know, Auburn has talked about doing, especially in terms of like social justice, um, pro- police brutality, things like that, uh, the racial uh, problems in this country. And then yesterday, uh, right around the time we recorded our first try at this <laughs> podcast, uh, they released their new, um, I don't I don't even know what to call it, a campaign, something. I, I don't even know how to technically classify it. But basically, they've got shirts and, and logos they're going to wear a lot. This this Auburn uh, United uh, family, uh, you know. An initiative? Pro, yeah, initiative is probably the best word to go about it. And a lot of players and a lot of uh, coaches and a lot of former players and, and alumni getting involved you know, buying the shirts, you know, trying to trying to support this uh, new venture that Auburn is going on as part of their um, some of the steps, some of the tangible steps they've been taking from these conversations that have been happening since March, really, um, you know, across college sports. So uh, seeing the seeing the uh, the the response to that. Yeah. Uh, the United is one uh, Auburn family uh, campaign. Seeing it, seeing the, the amount of people get on board with that uh, was pretty cool. Um, you know, it's just a stand for unity not you know it's not you're not having to make it political it's not one side versus the other it's just a hey, unity and like only like a select few um idiots were not able to to stand on board with that and uh i think they got shouted down pretty quickly which is which is cool to see which is cool to see yeah stand for unity i think even no matter what you believe in who you vote for uh what's your what's your religion what's your race none of that matters it's just trying to look at one another as human beings and try to get more connected to one another, unified, because there's a lot of problems going on in the world, and we can't do it if we just keep fighting with one another and, and, and treating each other not equally. Um, yeah, unity is, I think, one of the broadest and easiest things yet, you could possibly support. Yeah, Chiefs fans booed it uh, Thursday night, so who knows? Who knows? Um, we still got a long way to go. In, in, you had in a this good country. tweet about the NFL too, yeah, because well. you know the NFL and the NBA. I will give them that they are coming around. The NBA has been more on board for a longer time, and I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of all that. But uh, you know, it is important to remember that I think representation and yeah. acknowledging it matters, but it also only goes so far. And sometimes it does feel a little silly when you've got these, a ton of empty gestures. Yeah, and like the NFL is the richest league in the world, which. Is, and it's not very close, actually, and so sometimes some of that can ring a bit hollow. But I will say, at least in terms of where they were three or four years ago, there's been some progress. So probably enough on that front. Was yeah. there anything else you wanted no. to add there? We, just, we, got- we just wanted to highlight a couple of those important things that kind of went on in sports yesterday. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got a second shot at recording this podcast, so let's, uh, let's talk about them. All right, let's get into what you came here for on the Auburn Observer podcast. Thursday... Uh, Chad Morris, or well, I, I feel dangerous calling him Chad Morris on the <laughs> mic. Uh, I think we've been referring to him as a he who must not be named. He who uh, must not be named, which I'm, which I'm told is a, is a, is some sort of a nerd reference. Harry Potter, we <laughs> love it. Uh, we love it a lot. Yes, he is the Voldemort, the Arkansas fan, and. Right. Uh, you know, I don't think just it, tweeting his name will get you attacked on Twitter. They they took no history into account, like Grindelwald. Like there's got to be <laughs> steps in the order of your failure, and so what we have here is, I the, think the funny thing is, I'm in the minority. 
not knowing what you're talking about. Normally, here. it's the other way around. If we're talking about pop culture, if we're talking about entertainment, it's usually me who's just staring with a blank face. But yes, I dedicated way too much of my life to Harry Potter, and I will say, Arkansas fans, Chad Morris would admit. The, the two-year stint did not go well, but as you have pointed out many a time, uh, two years is not a lot to turn a program around, and plus, you know, there's the whole Brett Bielema thing, mm-hmm. and, you know, steps along the way. Yeah, you also had uh, you also had your boy, uh, Bobby Petrino. Bobby! Uh, you had a interesting take on uh, with Bobby yeah, Petrino. Yeah, let me try to make this more concise. Uh, I think that, especially given how badly the next ten years went, had he just not lied to his bosses, they would have been more than happy to yeah. let the affair thing go. Uh, I'm also curious to know how that would have worked out because you pointed out like more people caught on to that offense, and so that was part of what made Arkansas so dangerous. Yeah, and at I, that time they were they were a little bit ahead of the curve because of. Oh, well, and then Petrino had some good years, and then I mean the Louisville tenure blew up spectacularly at the end. So, I mean, I I think it was always going to be figured out, but, like, Arkansas probably would have had a little bit more fun with their football team during that stretch. Well, you pointed out, like, you think even though Leach will be fun at State, and I know we're getting off on a tangent, I'm sorry, but, like, it it seems like he would be great at Arkansas in the same vein that Petrino was because even they did have some good players, right? Like, I mean, Mallett was a very good college player, and he at least had a short career in the NFL. Darren McFadden's one of the greatest college running backs I've ever seen. Absolutely. So, like... I will say, I mean, they, they've had some talent, but yeah. they also were able to cover up their deficiencies. So, Chad Morris, mm. again, we don't we don't want to say his name too too much on there on here. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll get swarmed on social media, especially um, if you noticed yesterday when I was I was tweeting, I only put it out as uh, Auburn's new offensive coordinator. But no, him, him and Kevin Steele both talked yesterday. Um, might be the only time we get him this season, so it was really good to hear from those guys and kind of get some some perspective there uh, on the offense and defense. Let's talk about the offense, though, because that's the one that a lot of people are really, really clued in on early. And this goes to something that was talked a little bit about Thursday evening, and I know why people like caught on pretty pretty well, but there's a lot of talk about the tight end usage. And that was a that was a big theme of Chad Morris's talk uh, Thursday was that you know I use the tight end more. This is why I use the tight end. We think you can create matchup the problems. First podcast we did was about having three tight ends on the field. Like right. everyone's excited about the tight end. Everyone wants that to be a big part of this offense. And it makes sense because I think at the tight end position you can create matchup problems, as Chad Morris said. You know sometimes you can. You put them out there, and it's like, all right, we're going to treat you like a wide receiver. We'll put a nickel on you. Well, then that's a matchup problem. It's what happens if you try to, you know, swing them back inside and run the ball, or if you want to try some kind of like more power kind of stuff. Yeah, out I feel of like that. the tight end position fell out of favor for a few years, and then like most things, it came back in style. And we've seen this resurgence in certain offenses mm-hmm. with these really incredible tight ends, like Travis Kelsey, uh, George Kittle, especially Gronk for a, a stretch. I don't know how long he'll be able to keep throwing his body around, but absolutely the best tight end in the league for a while. So the tight end thing was like a really big deal because people have been begging for Auburn to throw the ball to the tight end more. Right. And I get it. Like, I want to say 100%. I get it. But this goes back to something I wrote Thursday at the Auburn Observer. Auburn's biggest problem is they got to get more explosive. They got to be a more explosive offense. You look at last season – 
in college football. The top four teams in America for plays of 20 or more yards on offense. All four of them made the playoff. And number five was, guess who? Alabama, who... In a, may, in a considered down year. Who didn't play in a, a, a conference championship game and who didn't play, you know, in a championship game. And also, like, whereas LSU and Clemson played 15 games, Alabama only played 13, and they still had really high numbers in plays of 20 or more yards. These huge plays that we talk about, Auburn has not had that the last couple of years. The, 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 not the, since 2017. Not really. And, and you look at Seth Williams... Wednesday when he talked he made you know some people got excited because he said this is going to be an explosive offense Chad Morris even Chad said Morris it, yeah. didn't shy away from it that's the thing I expect the good quotes from Seth Williams mm-hmm. Chad Morris did not shy away from that either he said we're going to be explosive we want to be the most explosive offense in the country and now everybody wants to say that you know nobody wants to say some of that's positioning and jockeying right especially right. because he's only he's only going to likely be in front of the media I can't imagine again this year right. but if it is like you know, I think you want to get out there and be kind of exciting if that's your really your only appearance. My my thing though is is that like if you're looking at how you want to improve Auburn's offense this year, getting more explosion has to be the goal. And so making an emphasis in it, we want to be the most explosive offense. It's going to be an explosive offense. Look at how we're going to do different things on offense to try to generate more big plays. It's got to happen because over the last two seasons, Auburn has fallen way behind in the big play category. Um, Twenty seventeen, they got it. You remember Jarrett Stidham? It was like, oh wow, Auburn's got a deep ball guy. Like. No disrespect to them because they were college quarterbacks who were, you know, way more accomplished than 99.9% of the people listening to this podcast ever will be (laughs) at an athletic thing. But, like, guys like Sean White and John Franklin III and then Jeremy Johnson, those guys, like, they just weren't good deep ball guys. Like, Sean White, that was not his game. Jeremy Johnson just struggled as a passer. John Franklin III struggled for the most part as a passer, too. So Stidham comes in and says, all right, Auburn's going to start doing hammer the ball with on Johnson, hit him deep. These shot plays, these play action uh, things, some some screen passes as well. We found out Third Darius Slayton was, in fact, a very good wide receiver, capable yeah. of stretching the field. Ryan Davis, a record holder, like, in combination with that running tandem that they had and Petway and Johnson. It's a shame they were never together, but especially in 2017 with Johnson leading the way, that pass offense had plenty of room to breathe. And over the last two seasons, Auburn's big play rate has dropped. Uh, it dropped, took a step back with Sidham in 2018, of course, Bo Nix in 2019. That was one of Auburn's problems. Explosion has got to be the thing. You've got to create bigger plays because if you don't, you don't survive in this day and age in college football. We can talk about Kevin Steele and how great that defense is, and we will. We'll talk about that a little bit later in this episode. But there's a reason Kirby Smart and Georgia keep coming up short. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And that's a little bit macro of me because there's like some nuance in that. But but mainly, like, look at their offense compared to the likes of the teams you just mentioned, even Alabama, who did not make the playoff last year. If you go for yards per play last season, four four of the top seven offenses in America, you look at the top seven in yards per play in all of college football, all four of your playoff teams are in that top seven. You look at the top seven of defenses, only two playoff teams in there, and then you get some group of five teams, and then you get like Utah and Georgia in there as well. Good teams. Utah and Georgia had great seasons. Defense can still win you a lot, but if you want to get to the elite of the elite, if you want to get where Auburn wants to be in college football, because right now you look at SP+, Plus, you look at some of the, some of the metrics, Throw out the record, throw out the schedule because it's tougher than most teams. But if you grade them all on a curve, basically, like, all right, this is where Auburn is compared to how how well they play um, and, and, you know, adjust it for who they play. 
they're a top 10 team. They're a top 15 team at, at worst most of these seasons. Yeah, even the years that they've won eight games, I think a lot of years the the analytics have them as a top 15 last team. Last year, last year they were nine a nine win team and still a top 10 top 10 in a in, in SP plus. Like so that's still a really good team, but like how do you get from there to where their fans want to be? They're desperate to see Auburn get back to the SEC title game. They're desperate to see Auburn win an SEC title. And we've talked about what the goal and make it to the playoff. generally should be for Auburn, which of course is to always win a championship. But Gus Malzahn, I think, is producing and recruiting. Gus Malzahn program and recruiting. And as you've pointed out, about every four years is finding a way to the SEC championship. And if you win that game you're obviously going to be in the playoff. I think what's been so frustrating is that with the exception of 2017, really since Nick Marshall left after 2014, there has not been that consistency Auburn fans became accustomed to with an explosive offense. And you highlight this with your story um, with Seth Williams talking about being explosive, but 2013 and 2014 teams that are so known for how well they ran the ball, Mm -hmm. they still were able very effectively to pass even though that's not how you perceive those teams. Fewer chances, but still creating big plays, whether it was Sammy Coates or Ricardo Lewis. Like, you know, the pop passes, the, the stuff off of play action, it worked because they were able to run. And they were explosive in the running game. And this is, goes back to something that we'll get to in, in a second. You still have to be balanced. You know, everybody wants to focus on Auburn getting better in the passing game, and that's a big step for them this year, and that is like the main way. It's counterintuitive. It t- kind of is because all the focus is on improving passing, but what is going to be the thing that makes that most realistic? What's the way and outside what, of Bo Nix being more accurate? It, and, it, and what makes it more effective is, is if you are a balanced offense. And, you know, in 2016, Auburn was really explosive on the ground, but not through the air, but they were still generating some big plays. And look, they made it to – the New Year Six. They made it to the Sugar Bowl that year, and injuries really hurt them at the end of the season. But there was a stretch there when everybody was healthy in the middle that that Auburn offense was humming. 2017, of course, they they figured it out and started picking up. But these last two seasons, there have been some high points. They, you know, there, there have been games where Auburn has kind of teed off on some teams and have played well. They beat Alabama, for, for an example. Well, and for the most part, with the exception of Tennessee and, and Mississippi State in 2018, Malzahn tends to beat the teams he should, even though there's a bit of a stigma, I think, that's incorrect. And Josh highlighted some of that with the story about 11 a.m. kickoffs, because right. some of that's tied in. But for the most part, Gus does beat teams that are inferior to him. Um, and, and another thing before I forget about it, you highlighted this yesterday and I thought it was a good point. I think you did so in your story too. Everyone focuses on the passing game of LSU last year and we saw it in that Chiefs game. Clyde Edwards-Alaire made life a lot easier for Joe Burrow and that much was very evident. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was 7th in the nation last season in 20-yard runs of any player. We talked about how much they threw the ball, but the fact that Alaire was so effective, and yes, he was effective as a as a receiver and a, and a pass protector, which made him such a key weapon. And like, oh, the Chiefs are going to get him, and he's going to be awesome. You got to keep that in mind. Is you want to be balanced. You want to be you want to be balanced. There was a thing that happened yesterday. There was a there was a tweet. Brandon Marcello, who everybody knows, used to cover Auburn. You know, he quote tweeted the some of the screenshots. One of the things that people got excited about about the tight end game, right? And look, yeah, if you should. Auburn, I mean, you should. If Auburn opens up the tight end game, great. But like, you're talking about even the best tight end uses in college football. You're talking about guys who are going to make five, six catches a game. This is not a revolutionary thing. This is not an offense that is like, oh, they throw the ball to the tight end, they're automatically going to be that much better. Can it help? Sure. But the key for Auburn is going to have to be they have to be balanced. And Brandon made the point, and people kind of jumped all over him for it. Auburn's got to get that running game back. 
And everybody wants to focus on Chad Morris and that quarterback and the, and, and, and this go- updated passing game, Bo Nix and and Seth Williams. And there and will Anthony be Schwartz. it will exist. It, I think it will to some extent um, meet what Auburn fans are hoping that it will, based on what we're hearing. And, and the thing is, is that that's got to get better. There's no doubt about it. But again, you can only get so much better if you aren't balanced. Like you 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 have to be so, sort of balanced. Part of the reason why Auburn struggled in the passing game last year wasn't because Bo Nix is a bad passer. It wasn't because they didn't have talent at wide receiver. Everybody knew they did. Part of the problem, though, they was... They were hamstrung by being one-dimensional at They times. were very one-dimensional. And then you were like, all right, you put so much pressure and so much attention on a freshman quarterback to make plays, and it got tough. Think about Auburn late last season. Those games they tried to come back in, they had to throw the ball around. They weren't running the ball. And part of that was... They weren't quite as explosive. Yeah, they could get three yards and four yards on the ground and, you know, try to try to do that. But, like, they weren't ripping off the big plays that we were accustomed to seeing from guys like Trey Mason and Corey Grant, Cameron Artis Payne, on Johnson, Cameron Petway especially. Say what you want about Booby Whitlow. He was such a key figure for Auburn over the last two seasons. He stepped in in a tough spot when their the talent at running back was not where they where it wanted it to be. Part of the reason why they changed over, as we talked about in a podcast, I believe that would have been last week. We talked about it as like getting more talent in the running back room. But Whitlow stepped in. He was that placeholder. And the offensive line was not particularly good at run blocking for two right. straight seasons. Right. So you, you put that together and you don't have as explosive a run game. You can focus more on the passing game. You know that's where the bigger plays are going to come come from. And, and teams were able to... You know, shut down. You can commit more to the pass game. Um, a passing game that, yes, had a freshman quarterback and ha- and was limited in, some, in in what it was able to do and some of the scope. Bo Nix is older. Your receivers are mostly all the way back. Pretty much all of them are back, at least the key ones. Chad Morris has a track record with your quarter with your quarterbacks in your passing game. All that is great. And like, you pointed out also, like, Auburn has some personnel that match some things that Morris has had a lot of success with in the past. And so I think you can be excited and very eager to watch this offense. All of that aside, like, the conversation you and Brandon had about this tight end conversation feels a bit like a smokescreen. I don't know if it is, mm-hmm. but there's almost too much focus on that position and not the one Gus Malzahn's been focused on since he got here as a coordinator and then again as a head coach running the football. He says it all the time. We want to run the football think about, well. Think about Chad Morris's offenses at Clemson. They still had really good running backs. And like everybody wants to talk about he coached Sammy Watkins and, and, and Newt Hopkins and you eventually know, Art, recruited Watson there. Yeah, Artavis Scott and all that. But like they needed to be able to run. You got to be balanced. Look at all those teams last year. We mentioned LSU. They were able to create explosive plays on the ground, even though they were technically a pass first offense. You Al- love Travis Etienne. Yeah, ETN's the most is the best big play back in college football, and everyone wants to talk about all the wide receivers they still have at Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. I get that, but man, ETN is a weapon. Ohio State last year had to Dobbins. do had most of it did a lot of its damage on the ground. Oklahoma, you want to point out? Oh, Oklahoma, <laughs> they have Ceedee Lamb. They've had all these Heisman winning quarterbacks. Well, last year with Jalen Hurts, everybody who got the ball in that backfield was a big play threat at running back or you know in the in the case of Jalen Hurts at quarterback you know being able to tuck the ball and go you've got to be balanced even Alabama they were the, most of their big plays came through the air last season that at a higher rate even than what LSU did still Najee Harris like those guys are those guys are really good at running back you still want to have the threat of balance out there and I think that's one of the things everybody wants to emphasize Auburn what are they doing in the passing game? What are they going to do in the tight end? It game? almost won't matter if the run game's not better. If the run game isn't improved, it's not going to be better. And that's where there's a, I don't want to say it's a red flag or a warning sign. There's a lot of talent at running back. 
the offensive line, I think the skill set of the guys are talking about becoming the leaders there and, and, and possibly being the starters there. They appear to be very athletic. They're obviously large guys. And they feel like it feels like a little bit more run blocking mm-hmm. could be their thing more than maybe pass protecting. Now, pass protecting is going to be a thing they're going to have to pick up on quick. That was the thing the unit of the last two seasons was pretty good at. Like, they weren't all world. Nobody would ever confuse them for that. But, like, they were solid there. It's just the run blocking was the problem. They got to pick up on that. How much more effective can you be? in the running game this year with a brand new offensive line and brand new running backs for the most part. I will say though, at running back, it's easier to plug and play guys at running back. It's an easier position to pick up and make a quick impact. And from what we're hearing, Sean Shivers is making the most out of his time in preseason camp. He's now the most experienced back on the roster. Yeah. And and the thing with me about the running backs is, you know, they want to be able to be a really effective, the running game. They have to be. Auburn's got to be more explosive, more efficient. More than a number on how many running backs he thinks that you need in this league, and Auburn just so happens to have that. Yeah, they he wants to have four. I think there's going to be some sort of rotation. Those guys being expanded in the passing game are going to be big as well. I had somebody tweet at me last night during that Chiefs game because, I, I mean, I was I – was, I, I love Tra- uh, I love uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I love Travis Etienne as well. But we love you, I, Travis. I love Cl- I love Clyde Edwards Hilaire a lot. And he was like, "Do you think Shivers could be a guy like that in this system?" And I think Shivers. The interesting thing with Shivers is, Alaire, Edwards Alaire is like a little, a little taller, a little, little stouter. But like you start thinking about it is that if he can expand his role as a receiving option, look, he made an eighty-yard touchdown at one point uh, during the scrimmage last week. I'm interested to see what Sean Shivers' potential is in an offense that says, hey, we've got to create big plays in the running game, and also we got to use you as a receiving option a little bit more, making those guys more playmakers instead of just, you're just going to get handoffs, right? So we talk about the tight end, and that's a big part of it. I want to see what the running backs do more, not only in the running game, but also in the passing game and how that is kind of expanded there um, because we know Sean Shivers is explosive, and we know Sean Shivers can make big plays happen. He's got the most famous play from last season, he's going to be a legend in Auburn forever for winning the Iron Bowl on a game uh, on a play where he took <laughs> it, he took an All SEC safety's helmet off. Yeah, McKinney's no slouch. By Great the way, player. Like, outstanding. I, he got clowned on a little bit for that, but like that guy's going to make more money than most of you guys <laughs> and myself included. Right. So it, it's 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 one of those things where I. I'm fascinated. We know Mark Anthony Richards and, and Tank Bigsby. Those guys are. I mean, we've been told personal. for the last year, like Anthony Richards, like that's a big part of his game is being a passing weapon. And then Tank Bigsby, well, he's the biggest running back recruit you've had, what, since Rock Thomas? Right. And like also receiving option, like that's what he did some in high school and he was really good at it. Where, where does a guy like DJ Williams fit in? He, can he expand his game uh, a little bit more? Can he be more explosive? I've said, you know, our, like. DJ Williams didn't really have that big outside of those couple big runs against LSU. There just wasn't a ton going for DJ Williams in terms of big plays last season. Now he was still valuable to what Auburn did. That might limit his ceiling of where he goes as a running back. But man, he's a sophomore. This is gonna be his second year. He was transferring over from quarterback. He could be a dude that is a star running back at Auburn. And like I wouldn't be surprised. Like these guys still have a long way to go. It's got to build. And I think that's kind of the thing with this whole offense this year. We've talked about it before. 2021 sounded like the year. And 2020 feels like the feels like it's an okay season, not only to play Georgia and Alabama on the road because the stadiums are going to be weird. But number two, I don't want to say this doesn't count because it does definitely count and it means a lot to a lot of people. In terms of eligibility, you're getting somewhat of a mulligan if you want to as a player. I mean, there are going to be some guys who inevitably go pro, but for the rest of them... Right, and for players and coaches and fans, this, this still means a lot the, for the teams that are playing. But like half the country is not playing football. 
and it will always be a weird year. I don't think we should put an asterisk next to it. If we get through this and we crown a champion, like we do it safely. Yeah, like I'm relatively. gonna be excited that, that all that. Ha- yeah, relatively being correct. I mean, I don't think that you can say well that team didn't win it, but it will also always be a year when we we, we go that that was a weird. Season. Yeah, it's not gonna be like oh don't judge this by normal season standards. And so this is the year where I'm not saying it's going to be okay if Auburn goes five and five or six and four because they're not. They're they're still a really talented team. By the way, I, I think we both think this will be a pretty strong season. But yeah. that part aside, like yeah, I, I I don't think that Auburn's going to have some sort of season in which you want to say, oh, this just didn't count. But this has got to be a season to me, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Can you take a step forward? And then what happens in 2021? Bo Nix comes back for his third season. Most of your running backs, if not all of them, should be back. Most of your wide receivers should be back. Most of your offensive line, if not all, should be back. Like, you have a lot there. So this has got to be the year where you have to show progress. You have to show more explosion. You have work out some kinks. Know that offensive line is probably going to look a little rough at the beginning. Or a lot rough. I don't know. Like, I don't think anybody knows for well, sure. we talked about this a little yesterday, and I think it's worth reiterating. Kentucky's had a little bit of up and down over the last few years, but Stoops is doing a good job Good job in how he recruits and, what, they won 10 games two years ago? Yeah. Uh, and then week two, you're probably going to play the best defense in the country. Right. And, and, and speaking of which, mailbag out this morning, a lot of Kentucky talk in there, so you want to check that out. Um, yeah, you guys working. had a lot of Kentucky questions, which is fun that we actually are close enough to focus on that. Exactly. And so, all that to say, get excited about the tight ends. I get it. You want to see it expanded more. Probably will see it a little more based mm-hmm. on, you know, the fact that Auburn really didn't use that position in the, in the receiving game much over the last few seasons. Get excited about potential improvement that Auburn needs in the passing game for Bo Nix, from the receivers, from everybody involved there, because... That's the most important uh, quarterback's most important position in football. You've got to be able to throw the ball effectively to win at a high level in college football. But also keep in mind, balance is key. Those elite teams aren't—they're not. LSU was not. It was not Washington State last year. You know, like they still had balance. We saw Clyde Edwards-Helaire. We saw what he did last night with the Chiefs. Like that's a really good running back, and that's a really good running game, and that's part of what makes them effective. It it really—I mean, you talk about balance. You definitely got that in the form of Oklahoma and Clemson and Ohio State. And I know they play in different conferences, and, 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 and Auburn has a tougher road. But there's a common theme. They all but have man, great LSU quarterback play, sure. They all have great athletes at wide receiver, and they're all able to block well. And for those reasons, they have a strong run game. They play off one another. I can't wait to see Najee Harris with Mac Jones because I think we have sort of forgotten about Najee yeah. over the last few seasons. They're a great example of that, too, even though, again, they didn't make the playoff. Let me put it this way. Auburn fans were disappointed the way last season ended. They're going to be disappointed at you know the not maybe nine and four, especially especially the the bowl loss. But here's I would say second season in a row in which you you definitely missed an opportunity to get the double digit wins. Yes. So the thing there is that you still had that, and you still were a top ten team in terms of SP plus and kind of just the metrics. All of, the advanced metrics yeah. point to you being one of the best teams in the country. Right. So. If you're already doing that with an offense that, like, let's face it, was average at best last season, statistically, it was not a great offense. It was kind of middle of the road for Power 5 teams, for sure. Think about, like, you don't have to be LSU. You don't even have to be Ohio State or Clemson. And it's going to be tougher to do that because you are playing in the SEC West, but get closer to that level of explosion. And look, man, LSU flipped the switch and just it kept going. I think that's going to be kind of like a... 
like I, I expect LSU to be really, really explosive on offense from here on out. But, but like you also hitting those numbers again is going to be near impossible. There was a perfect storm of Burrow's experience and getting Joe Brady and Clyde Edwards Alaire. All those receivers they had a lot of experience. Jamar Chase ends up blowing up. Justin Jefferson has a great season. Like there's some weird things that happened where it was lightning in a yep. bottle. But like Miles Brennan will be perfectly capable. I think that they probably lose two or three games this year. Yeah. Oh, they lost so much talent. But if you get more explosive, if you get closer to those numbers and big plays, that Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama. With the defense you have. The defense you have. Look, you might have to do it a little bit differently and have some things break your way in close games and and, and rely on that defense a little more. But if you get closer, like you have kind of the perfect storm possibly brewing for a team, that is going to be, I think, effective down the road with the way they've recruited but you got to understand the problems, though, is that, yeah, you are a top-10 team. But, like, talent-wise, you're, like, fifth or sixth in your own conference because that's just life in the SEC. So, saying Auburn has to become a Clemson or Ohio State is a little is tougher because, like, those teams are, and Oklahoma, pretty much un... Like, they're unchallenged for the most part in terms of serious contenders. They're not going through the gauntlet that Auburn right. has to go through. It, it is odd. You've got the way Cristobal is recruiting at Oregon. You've got the dominance of Ohio State. You've got the dominance of Oklahoma. And you got the dominance of Clemson. And then it's Alabama, LSU, Georgia, and probably Florida, although currently Auburn and Florida, I believe, are tied in the blue-chip ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, or or maybe that's LSU and Florida. I think Florida's actually a bit ahead of Auburn. Yes. Um, so, like, you've got about four teams in other conferences that recruit better than you. And then another four in your own, maybe five in your own conference that have more talent than you on paper. But what you've been able to do if you're Auburn over the last few seasons with that defense and just the thing that like in big games against talented teams, like there's especially at home, weird stuff happens. Gus miles on. I mean, they find ways to win. You know, people say, Oh, he wins. Just enough to get people off his back in these big games is like oh he beats yeah. the greatest dynasty in modern history just enough yeah well it's just like one of those things where it's like you can get frustrated on those on those parts but they've proven that they can beat these teams well it was weird to beat Alabama and then lose to Minnesota I will say yeah. just think about how much more consistent you can be how much more I guess closer to the uh, to the elites of college football if you just start putting up some better numbers on the offense. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they'll ever get back to like 2013, 2014 levels, but if they can get closer to it with the defense they have now. They'll have a shot. They'll have just as good a shot as everybody because they'll have a little bit more wiggle room, when, especially when it comes to the committee. I mean, Auburn in 2017 was about to be a two-loss playoff team if they all they had to do was beat Georgia one more time. could play out again. Like yeah, oh, next yeah. year with the way Auburn, I think their roster is coming together and like the advantage of getting Georgia and Alabama at home in 2021. Uh, it's not impossible with how difficult Auburn's schedule is for that to work itself out. So, as we were saying, balance is going to be key. Explosion is going to be key. You better run the ball and create big plays there. You got to throw the ball and create big plays there. The tight end stuff, it's going to help. Let's, 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 let's Don't hear me say that it won't help, but it's – it's gonna be a it's gonna be a uh, a bonus more than it's going to be like the foundation of the offense. Yeah. Whereas we know running the ball and just getting your running backs more involved. Yeah, period. Yeah. I think has got to be the key thing there. So we talked about all these tight ends, all these uh, and all these you know H backs, and it, we kind of just downplayed all of them. So it's gonna be funny to swing in because our next uh, position group in the Malzahn area we're supposed to be going through is the tight ends. 
and the H-backs. So we've done linebackers most recently, mm-hmm. and we did wide receivers, running backs, running backs to begin so, with. And then wide receivers, yeah. Um, this is an interesting position in part because it's kind of ebbed and flowed in, in how it's been used over the last few seasons, and they've had some success with it and probably some underwhelming numbers as well, depending on what you're looking at. Uh, a few nights earlier this week, a few nights ago, the Auburn Georgia game was on SEC Network from 2013, and I was struck by how much watching it again, how Jay Prosh would just demolish people. There was a touchdown earlier in the game when Auburn was rolling, where there's a Georgia linebacker that comes across and he does that great kind of hesitation to sell the to sell the zone, make the read guy go, and then go hit the second level. We saw Chandler Cox and Spencer Knight do that from time to time as well. Some of that split zone stuff that they do. He, uh, Prosh comes up and just, I mean, it's probably a really good linebacker. I think I recognize his name, but I just am having a hard time recalling it. And just drove him into the ground in the end zone. It was like, hey, you're going to be. George Kittlesque where he's giggling as he does it. Yeah. uh, You know, at the one yard line. Taking pleasure and dominating. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like Prosh made that 2013 offense so effective. Auburn never was able to quite re- even in 2014 they weren't quite a, they weren't able to recreate quite what they had in the running game. Now they stepped up in the passing game that year and still put up some crazy numbers. Think about Nick Marshall in the Iron Bowl in 2014. Would you throw uh, 500 uh, <laughs> yards of offense and 40 points against Nick Saban and Kirby Smart's defense? Whatever. And you should have had more. Yeah, because you know those are five you out. trips yeah. that had uh, field goals. Yeah, you stalled out. You stalled out too much in the in in the red zone. But Boy, yeah, that one stings. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. That one. Real, that one hurts really. <laughs> r- really tough. That'll that'll sit in the back of your head for a while. But you know, with Jay Prosh, they had a fullback that Malzahn inherited that had transferred from Illinois to be closer uh, to his family. His mother was going through. Um, a really tough health 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 battle and so prosh comes out here and is just like okay hey i was a big 10 fullback and uh malzahn i think says like oh we have a spot for you we can do this and like up until that point you even look at look 2009 2010 auburn 2011 to an extent this wasn't like what they ran in 13 was not the same they wasn't the same offense they were having cam newton it has been there were some similarities yeah, it's been an incorrect criticism of Malzahn that he runs the same offense. Oh. It's not. It wasn't true. As 10, 13, and 17, You could. those are three distinct different types of I, offenses. I think I know what you mean when you're talking about running the ball between the tackles and lots of screen passes, but that doesn't mean the offense was necessarily the same thing. Right. 2010, they did, they did different things than they did with, uh, you know, than they did with a guy like Nick Marshall. Because, and part of that is you had Jay Prosh in twenty. There was no Jay Prosh in twenty ten. There was no Jay Prosh in twenty seventeen. We'll talk about Chandler Cox in a second and how effective he was. They weren't Jay Prosh. Jay Prosh was just a lead blocking just monster. He also got to be a professional at for a position that really almost doesn't exist. What did he play for the Texans for a couple seasons? Yeah, and I mean he just. How many other people are playing fullback in that way anymore? I mean. I understand. I that. mean, the big one, the big one's Kyle Juszczyk at in 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 San Francisco because they still use the fullback pretty well. Um, I think the Packers have gone away from. They had John Coon for forever, uh, uh, kind of being their fullback. It, it, you so you're looking away at a literal it. like handful, maybe. Of teams uh, the the Patriots still use a fullback. Um, I believe the well Chandler Cox is in is in mm-hmm. is in Miami. Um, you know, coming off that uh, coming off that New England tree of uh, of coaches 
uh, Brian Flores is, even though he is a defensive guy like Belichick, I think there's some similarities. The Bills are going to win the division, and Cam Newton's going to be the MVP. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, well. Good for Cam. Yeah, good for Cam. Uh, I, I don't think 99% of the people listening to this aren't going aren't gonna to feel bad about that whatsoever. Uh, Correct. The thing with Jay Prosh, back, back to Prosh, is like they were in 2013, they ran the wing T. Like they ran <laughs> like a, I've called it a tech mobile playbook. Like just a really thin thing is like, oh, we just got better players than you. And right, we're doing right. this thing that you haven't seen yet. And we're going to beat you into oblivion with it. That's it what wasn't they did. a surprise what they were running in the SEC championship or against Tennessee when they passed like seven times. Not yeah. that Tennessee didn't have some idea of what was coming next. Just it didn't matter. So Auburn has Jay Prush. He bids adieu after the 2013 season. Here comes 2014. Auburn is about to hit this transition, I think, at this position. Um, they inherit, Malzahn inherits a young man by the name of C.J. Uzama. I wrote about him earlier this week in the Kalen Newton story. Actually a wide receiver coming into Auburn. Played quarterback in high school. Uh, bigger dude, though. And they were like, all right, let's move him to tight end in 2012. Obviously, that didn't work. He was backing up, you know, Philip Lutzenkirk in that, in that last year. But 2013, he starts getting involved more as a tight end. He could even split out wide. You know, he has, he has the game winner against Mississippi State early in 2013. 2014, they start using him more in the offense. Brandon Falls kind of does some of the blocking stuff and the H-back stuff there. It felt like Auburn was due for, like, to make this kind of switch. And it's like, all right, well, Jay Price was a one-off. For the position to have more emphasis in the pass game? To be more like a traditional tight end than necessarily H-back heavy. Like, you wanted to be an H-back. You wanted to have that. And it's like, well, Price was a one-off. Like, it felt like Auburn, Auburn was evolving. We talked about in 2014 how, they're much, how they were much more effective through the air. Um, no one knew at the time what it was going to look like by the end. But Jeremy Johnson was going to be your quarterback in 2015. Well, the glimpses you got certainly looked... Right. Looks exciting. In 2015, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be more of a pass every tag, and they're going to go away from – they're going to still run the ball. They still want to run the ball. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we even talked about this. how this 2020 team is going to want to run the ball. So they're going to want to run the ball well, but it's going to be a little bit more of a passing game, and it felt like that was going to be the tight end thing. However, in 2015, they pick up Chandler Cox. You know, they in Chandler Cox, they get him from Apopka. They're also trying to recruit Martez Ivy um, during that time as well. He ends up going to Florida. But the thing about that is, is that – all right, now here comes a player who's the best fit at your position, and he's more of that H back. He's not Jay Prosh in terms of being effective as a, as a blocker, but he could do. He was a little bit more versatile. He could do some different things, and he was your best option for four years. He was your best option. Meanwhile, the tight ends you bring in, in that come after Uzama leaves, the tight ends you bring in that stretch. Um, and by the way, Uzama still. You know, he's going to start in the NFL this year. Recently got a second contract, and you Tyler mentioned Eifert, this. Tyler Eifert's gone, and, like, it's his show to run now right. at tight end I mean, in, I would in say Cincinnati. It's A.J. Green will be your first look. As long as he's healthy, that'll be an exciting pairing. But I think Uzama's going to get a lot of play if they're giving him a second contract. For sure. So you get Chandler Cox in there, and the, the guys you have at tight end, they just they never really quite work out in terms of what you wanted to be as a receiver. Jalen Harris did some good things, had some big moments, but it just never, it never was super consistent with him. He ends up finishing his career elsewhere. There's other guys in that stretch at tight end where it just doesn't really work out. Auburn brings in a guy like Sal Canella. Uh, well, Sal Canella ends up being more of a receiver than a tight end. So for a while, it's got you. It's H back. It's it's the H back position. But for they, four years, yeah, because he starts Kelly as a Cox true is freshman. a fullback who played quarterback some in high school. And I, I know everybody hated the little spinny spinny whirly bird offense, but they did win a state championship. Weird. Wasn't quite effective in the SEC though. Alas. But you wanted him out there on the field. 
Auburn brings in a guy like John Samuel Shanker saying, okay, well, can he be the new wave? And we'll get to that. It's kind of what they want to do with some of what Chad Morris has said, tight end position. But for a while, it was like, you didn't really have tight ends. And they weren't as big of a deal in the offense in the passing game, not because Auburn was just straight up ignoring him. I just think the personnel didn't match up what they wanted, and they wanted that more traditional fullback. And then in 2019, last season, no disrespect to J.J. Wilson, to guys like uh, to guys like John Samuel Shanker and some of these other dudes, but like Spencer Nye was the guy you wanted on the field probably more often than not if you wanted to have an extra man. If you were going to go, if you weren't going to go four wide, who was going to be that guy? And Nye was a really Kinda effective quietly. player produced for Auburn solid solid player now we get into 2020 and it's been this culmination of what they've been working at the position Shanker they want a guy to say hey doesn't matter if we're going H-back doesn't matter if we're tied in doesn't matter if we're going to go wide receiver we want very versatile we want somebody to do that well that's exactly what he did at high school and I think has been forgotten about to some extent this offseason because there are a lot of exciting very athletic options in play for Auburn at the position but I think Forgetting about Shanker would be silly. So they go out and get Tyler Fromm and Luke Deal. Mm. Bigger guys, versatile guys. This little ass group, they just say, all right, well, we got big, versatile guys. How about we get even bigger and even more versatile guys now? Let's get a 6'7", dude. Oh, my God. And then a near 300-pounder. Is Pegues about 6'2", 300? Yeah, I, I think he might be listed. 290? Yeah, I don't know what he's listed at right now. Um, but you've talked about like using him... Uh, kind of like a little dump off option yeah, absolutely the, you watch some lethal. of the thing that andy reed did with the with his tight ends and moving them around in motion some of the travis kelsey plays they run with and then in the red zone like i know sal canella there will be a love-hate relationship with with auburn fans and him but he made a couple of big yeah. plays in his career especially in that iron bowl in the washington game and like, brandon frazier six seven six seven was canella six four Probably going to want to use that in the red zone, six, four, six, five, something like that. It's this transition that they're going for, and that's what brings us to this year. When you when you heard what Chad Morris said yesterday, he said, we want guys you can be able to swing in and out. Treat them like a receiver. Treat them like a fullback. Treat them like a blocking tight end. Treat them like a receiving tight end. you got to be able to do that. As we were saying, it's going to be something that can expand the offense. Throwing the ball to the tight end more, like throwing the ball to the running backs more, should only open up things for those guys on the outside, like Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz and Eli Stove and whoever else gets involved there at wide receiver. But I think this is this is a transition. They didn't make that switch in 2015 because when they got Chandler Cox after C.J. Uzama, then Auburn switched back to more of that run first game, some more shot plays. They're wanting to expand their passing game. They're wanting to evolve with the times getting more receiving tight ends in the fold, getting an offensive coordinator who throws the ball more to the tight end was a bigger deal for them, and that's where they are today. So that's a lot about Chad Morris. That's a lot about Auburn's offense. Counterintuitive. Focus on the run game. Focus on the running backs. I know all the focus is on the pass game. You know, Everyone's hoping Bo Nix has this big step forward like Joe Burrow seemingly did, but Joe Burrow also had a lot of help. I will say this, those are going to be important keys and throwing the ball to the tight end could be a really big help to the to the passing game. I'm not going to I'm not going to deny that, but also keep in mind, don't ignore the running game. Got to be balanced. Got to be able to start creating more plays in the running game. I know there's a lot of emphasis on what Chad Morris does in terms of the passing game. Let's talk about the defense. Kevin Steele. A lot of confidence from that guy. Does it seem warranted? I think it's warranted at this point. I believe that he has hit the status of deserves benefit of uh, the doubt. 100%. I think when you look at this Auburn defense, the big thing that stood out to me yesterday from Kevin Steele is that, you know, one of the first questions that were that was asked was, you know, you, you lost four or five stars in the secondary. How you feel and about that group? And he goes, well, here's the thing, guys. We don't play with 11 starters on defense. 
We play with 18 or 19. That's what you want to have in this league, and I think it'll be even more important to have that this year when you don't know how Given many. Given the volatility of, of people's uh, just ability to play and stay healthy. And Steele said it's you know it's kind of a silver lining this year is that you're not you're gonna have to be able to work everybody and not have to just focus on the starters or the you know the number twos. Everybody's getting involved, and well, the corners especially I think is going to be a huge a benefit for the younger corners. Yeah. That secondary, though, we talked about Roger McCurry and how, statistically, he was basically already a starter. Steele made a point that you argued in one of your stories about McCurry at AuburnObserver.com, which is, if you guys look at the numbers, he essentially was a starter, just not a name. Smoke Monday, Jamie and Sherwood already getting a lot of work these last two years at safety. A lot of a lot of pride, you can tell, that, that Steele has in those guys. He talks about how Smoke Monday... Made one of the biggest plays of the game as a first time, like first play game of his college career against Washington in 2018. Makes one of the biggest plays of the game. He said Jamie and Sherwood might be the best tackler he's ever seen at safety. Okay. All right. So keep in mind, Kevin Steele's been coaching for a very long time at the college level and the NFL level. Jamie and Sherwood is going to be a star. Adequate. Going to be real good. You put in McCreary there as well. Don't forget Christian Tut. He's the return. He's the returning starter in that group as well. There's a lot of confidence in that secondary, and this statistically should be the unit where you're like, this might be the problem this year, and it could still be. But like, I think from what they're the way they're talking it up, they feel just fine about the secondary. And like, Steele's not one of those guys who's like, if if they have something to work on or something they're they're you're know, not uh, happy about. He'll say it. Like he will say. He will say. You know, we've got a long work, uh, a lot of work to do here. We got a long way to go at this this certain position. So to hear him talk with so much confidence about the secondary yesterday was big. The second part of that is we've been talking about that other cornerback spot, like who would be the quote unquote eleventh starter, like that. And we've said with the caveat that they're gonna have to use multiple guys there. It's not just gonna be McCreary and whoever starts. But there's with been them. a lot of focus on Domeo, and there's been a lot of focus on Pritchett. Huh. A lot of focus on Domeo and a lot of focus on Pritchett at yes. that spot. But I think yes. part of the story here is that those are not the only guys playing well, according right. to Steele. Right, right, And I said, huh, because I was like looking down and I was I want to make sure I got everybody's name right in this whole group. They've got five dudes right now they are playing a cornerback with McCreary that they're really, really keen on. And Steele said, they're playing with the first team and keeping the top on the defense. That's crazy. Like they're going up against some going up against some receivers right now that are really effective, and Bo Nix is taking that step forward. But yet, Marco Domeo, Nehemiah Pritchett, Matthew Hill, Devin Barrett, and Jalen Simpson, all those guys are working with the first team defense. Now you're gonna you might need all of them. You know, you'll see some more than others. You'll see some more than others. But the fact that all those guys are getting involved and looking good is is pretty impressive, especially Matthew Hill making we that switch. We had talked about him switching and, and being an exciting prospect at safety. Corner makes a lot of sense. Hey, they just pulled a wide receiver to corner switch that was uh, pretty effective. I think that one worked out. First round draft pick, you'll take that. You'll you'll definitely take it. I think the the thing there with this with this secondary is that there's just so much confidence that you know it doesn't matter who they're throwing out there. They feel like they're getting a good job, and that's a he yeah, Steele said that's a fun battle. Fun is not necessarily a word he usually uses a lot a lot of the time. I, I think that's a big time sign for Auburn, that they're going to feel confident about that secondary in 2020. So moving pieces back there as well, uh, Ladarius Tennyson pushing um, at, at the star position really well for a freshman. They're already thinking about him playing there, which allows Jordan Peters to give him some more depth at safety, some of those regular guys, you know, guys like Chris Thompson Jr. and stuff like that. What have you heard about him? Seems like he's having a good fall camp. Thompson? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they really like Thompson. They really like Thompson. He's a he's a guy that reminds him a lot of Jamie Sherwood when he came up. More of a quiet guy, but a real big energy player and does a lot of things well. Um, I think that's going to be kind of – 
I mean, he's a player that everybody wanted, and, and, and the fact that Auburn was able to snatch him out of Texas was so huge. I think he might be a guy you see. And again, like I said, this is a free year for everybody, including those freshmen. You don't have to be like, oh, we can only play you in four games. If you're ready to play and they need you, they'll they'll turn you loose this season. That secondary, that confidence in the secondary, I think, was the big, biggest thing that stood out to me. Linebacker, they're still looking for that fourth guy, um, Sound especially with Chandler Wooten out. Uh Sounds like the big ones there are Wesley Steiner and Cam Riley. Desmond Tisdall missed some time, and it sounded like it could have been COVID-related, whether it was you know contact tracing or what. Yeah, it could be contact. He had it. He just missed some time. But Steele said, like, if he would have missed some time, he'd have been right there in the mix with those guys. So those young those young linebackers making an impact early. Then we switch over to the defensive line. The defensive line comes to this spot where they have so much depth, and it's just going to be like, all right, who's going to play? Who's going to play there? There was some uh, we talked about it last week. There was a lot of people who were kind of up in arms a little bit when Connus Miller, you know, left parted the, ways you know, the left the team, parted right. ways, whatever you want to call it. And it was like, all right, what about that depth of defensive tackle? They sound really confident in a defensive tackle. If you're worried about Rodney Gardner's unit, will you tweet at me? I just <laughs> want to see how many of you there are. Not very many. You know, you have Tyron Truesdale returning start. Sounds like Daquan Newkirk, if he stays healthy, that's his job to lose, which super effective. Big guy, athletic guy. Strength similar to that of Derrick Brown. Stronger than Derrick Brown. That's scary. And he's a very athletic guy too. So like I know he won't be Derrick Brown, but sure. like he, he could be a he could be in for a really, really big year. Damn it, Daquan, you're not gonna be a generational talent. Yeah. How unfair of you. Uh you, you you look at Dre Butler, your guy. Sweet Prince Dre. Dre Butler and Marquise Burks, both Juco guys make an impact early. They're going to get in the rotation. Then you look at further down the chart, Jay Hardy keeps getting compared to Derrick Brown every time anyone talks about him, which is terrifying. Is that work ethic related? Yeah, more work ethic related and kind of just, oh, this dude's like ready to play. Like as a freshman, like Derrick was. Remember, keep in mind, Derrick Brown wasn't even a starter as a freshman. But who was? Who's also not back? Marlon Davidson. So you got to find some guys like that. And speaking of Marlon Davidson, the guy who keeps getting compared to Marlon Davidson, Zachivius Walker, they said he can play defensive tackle. They can kick <laughs> him inside, which, all right, just casual, just, you know, already able to play like that. So I think you likened this in a way to Occam's Razor when mm-hmm. we did our first run of yes. this, which is basically if you're doubting this defensive line, I don't know what to tell you, but it is fair to say what about the group. Yeah, you you posed it as like, all right, if the secondary's fine, what's the what's the problem with Auburn's defense? What's the biggest question mark? And I said, you know, it's maybe the thing that everybody talked about as soon as Auburn's 2019 season ended. How do you replace Derek Brown and Marlon Davis? First and a second round talent. Production-wise, it's going to be tough. They've got the depth. They've got the talent. They've got the rotation. But, I mean, like, Derrick Brown was one of the best players you will ever have at Auburn. And Marlon Davidson, let me say this very clearly, not too far behind him. Four-year starter on the uh, on the defensive line and a really, really effective player. Kind of sucks that he's dealing with an injury right now, and he's probably going to end up missing that opener for, for Atlanta on Sunday. But... You've got you've got all this talent, and it's just like, all right, how does it all work? And it might be kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation. We talk about Big Cat Bryant. How does he make a step up? Yeah, I think you seem to believe he's the most poised. If Auburn's mm-hmm. going to have a stat grabber this year, that it would That's be him. him. Yeah. We talked a lot about Derek Hall. I think Derek Hall explodes this year. But, man, T.D. Moultrie has given him the fight of his life at the buck position. And that's really big because they're going to need both of them. Like, T.D. Moultrie, whoever loses that job as the quote-unquote starter – I'm going to say both of those guys probably get on the field a good bit on third downs this year. So you need both of them. They're stepping up. Colby Wooden got the got the highest of praise I heard about a, about a freshman from Kevin Steele. He's talked about how big he is taking a step forward. 
uh, this offseason, which makes sense. Last season, last offseason, he had mono, and like it, like he lost a lot of weight, and it took him a while yeah, to kind of get that, going again. It's not that this is a normal offseason, but at least it's he's normal probably fa- been healthier than he was, oddly enough, last year. Yeah, during a pandemic, he's been healthier than he than he was the year before. That's just, I mean, just weird timing for sure. Wooden's got a lot of a, a lot of praise. He's a guy who can play, you know, kind of both sides of the defensive line. I'm really curious to see how he gets on the field what does this mean for a guy uh they're they're gonna have to have guys behind big cat bryant we heard about caleb johnson getting some love um i just they've just got dudes man like they have got dudes all over that defensive line and someone's a really good player is going to be left out of the rotation like one or two really good players are gonna be left out of the of the normal rotation the thing about it is is as Steele said you got to work out everybody you've got to get everybody prepped because Anybody could drop off your your depth chart at any given time. No one is guaranteed to avoid, uh, you know, having uh, getting COVID nineteen. Even if you do all the things you're supposed to do, even if Auburn students and all that in classes and want to do a better job of handling this whole thing, you can still get it. Or you could be around somebody who gets it and then contact tracing and all that. Well, you we saw professional baseball players since they don't have a bubble get it, yeah. and it's like I imagine most of those guys. Not to say all of them. I know the Marlins got criticized a little bit for having some fun and getting it at the beginning of the year. But to your point it just means that more depth will be more important than ever in terms of you know football. For putting the health aside, football terms only depth will be extremely critical. All right, let's wrap it up here. Mailbag at the Auburn Observer this morning. If you're listening Friday to this on morning. Friday, yeah. If you're listening to this on Friday, we're going to try to drop this as soon as we get it done because we're late on it because of the technical difficulty monster we had yesterday. Hopefully, the audio sounds better. Hopefully, uh, we're, we're we're going well. You're going to be on the road next week. Yes, heading up to the Northeast. I think it'll be a little cooler. It'll be a little cooler. You're going to experience a Buffalo Bills weekend. Josh Allen overthrows Stephon Diggs, but fortunately, Stephon Diggs is so fast he catches it. So we're going to be doing podcast next week remotely. We're going to get all that set up. Yeah, we'll have, uh, I think, the the dual mic set up. I guess we'll try it over Zoom. Mm-hmm. So bear with us. Ferg invested in a new microphone. Hopefully this sounds better, and we'll bring you some version of the Auburn Observer podcast uh, on the road next week. On, uh, over the weekend, too, I want to uh, keep in mind we're going to have observations from uh, the week that was for Auburn football practice and the scrimmage. You guys really liked that one last Sunday. We're going to do it again on, on Sunday morning, so keep an eye out on You had mentioned situational that. practice yeah. or situational scrimmage. Situational, uh, like doing like two-minute stuff, uh, uh, doing red zone stuff, third downs, things like that. The things that win and lose you football games is going to be a big focus for both sides of the ball. Also, uh, Chad Morris said uh, on uh, Thursday they want to get closer to having a starting offensive line. they got to start getting in Kentucky mode real quick. And by the way, like I said earlier, if you want to read more about Kentucky, the mailbag's got it. That story on explosions out this uh, out this week as well. A lot of stuff you can check out. AuburnObserver.com. As we've said, 100% three, three, free, 100% free through the entire month of September. Uh, October 1st, we will change over. Appreciate you guys signing up shout out um, to Lindsay crosby thank you for letting me know about google Podcasts. if there's any my dad other- actually asked me about that as well Sweet. so that's another one and if there's another platform a few people have pointed out different ones let us know we want to make sure that you can listen wherever you find it most convenient absolutely um auburnobserver.com sign up uh, with your email as of recording we have like uh i think i checked it just before we went on we have like 930 people who have already signed up thank you all uh really appreciate you checking us out even if you don't switch over to the paid format once we go there in october 
We appreciate you at least giving, uh, taking in the preview. Like we said, the podcast, uh, at least one episode per week, will be free once yeah, we switch over to October. If you wouldn't mind, rate, review, subscribe, follow. That helps us tremendously. helps us with the analytics. And also, tell your friends and family if they're Auburn fans. Yeah, get them to sign up and tell them it's free. And uh, they can check it out, and then we'll switch over in October on October 1st. But we're going to get through a football weekend. We're going to get through oh Kentucky weekend. Yes. Also... Want to give a special shout out, real quick here, and I, this wasn't planned, Ooh. but I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it in there tomorrow, Saturday, at 11 Central. 11 Central Saturday, September 12th. I believe it's 11 Central. It's been it's 11, days, but Saturday Saturday, you know, big day for college football. Did I ruin that. It? It's no, not 11 Central. I believe it is 11 Central. I I I, I screwed this up. Our friends at Home Field Apparel. Ooh. It's the Auburn release. All right. Been talking with some guys, some of the guys at Homefield. You might be able to get a little money off down the road Ooh. from something you hear on the podcast or read in the newsletter. We'll just keep that keep that in mind. This is a hundred percent free though. Auburn launches tomorrow. They're expecting big sales. Everybody's like, there's this bragging rights competition. Pitt's currently at number one. I think Auburn's got a real shot to challenge them for it. Auburn fans, I'm telling you, I. I have more home field shirts than pretty much any other brand of shirts already, and like I've only been getting them for like a year. So I'm wearing I'm wearing one right on now. Twitter uh, of Albie, he looks like he's having a fantastic time. That's one of them. I saw an Auburn basketball uh, d- design. That what do we think about Bruce Pearl's beard? A lot of people asking about the beard. I'm loving it, Bruce. Keep it's it in, up. It's an interesting look. I'm loving it. Keep it's it an going, interesting baby. look. I think Gus needs to match a beard as well. Oh, There's an Auburn yes. basketball design on home field though that I, Auburn fans are going to love. I'm going to show Painter once we get off the. Where under- do they go? Where do they go to make this happen? Homefieldapparel.com. You can go to uh, home field. Uh, A-P-P-E-R like, there's like apparel's not spelled out correctly on Twitter they're going to be launching it it's going to be out there a lot of you already know sure if you just know them and, and they're very online best t-shirts I own they're going to have a bunch of vintage Auburn designs and they're going to be ones that you don't normally see like everybody knows the old school Auburn stuff you know we see it all the time these are going to be some unique ones that you can't really find anywhere else in terms of t-shirts and they're like the most comfortable t-shirts you can find on the planet so just want to shout out Homefield. break that record tomorrow take it to Pitt all right chaos Auburn chaos Auburn get them into the number one spot hopefully you'll be hearing a little bit more about Homefield and how you can get some deals there on the podcast and in the newsletter here very very shortly so I'll be on the road when are we doing this next Seems like we'll probably do this. You want to shoot for some time, sometime uh, Monday. We get this put out to you. We'll wrap up the the, the week that was and talk uh, scrimmage observations and stuff like that. That's perfect. I'll try to record. We'll try to record before the NFL action starts. Perfect. How about that? I'll perfect. make that. I'll make that exchange with you. All right, for sure. All right, folks. Thank follow you. Me, follow me on Twitter at jfergusonau. Follow him on Twitter at Payne Sharpless. Like I said, sign up at auburnobserver.com. Go to homefieldapparel.com tomorrow. Auburn fans and buy up some stuff. Until early next week, until Painter checks in from the frozen north, adios.